0: Hello and welcome to the CP Podcast. I'm here with our guest today, Lucy DeGray. Lucy and I are about to embark on a show at National Sawdust on June 2nd and 3rd, and we're here to talk about it. From one of our favorite performances of all time, that was Unsuk Chin's A Cross Schon Wortspiel for soprano and ten instruments sung by one of Lucy and my favorite and one of CP's favorite singers, the incredible Jessica Petrus. That was at the Domena Center in May 2016. Lucy, it's wonderful to have you here. We've never gotten a chance to work together with Cantata Profana, but I know that we've seen each other do a lot of things and I'm excited to get to work on this show.
1: Me too. I'm a Cantata Profana Fan. Woo. Woo. I'm a, I'm really, I'm a huge Jessica Peters fan.
0: So Philippe Leroux's Voirex, which is the piece we're doing on our upcoming show at National Sawdust together is definitely in that upper echelon of, you know, most difficult new music out there. Very, Virtuosity. very challenging. Virtuosity yeah. on full display, yes. hyper performative. We get to watch it happen and it's a total spectacle. And there are, I think, other ensembles who are super dedicated to the newest of new music and the thorniest of new music and who like to eat this kind of repertoire for breakfast. And there's a a bunch of us in the ensemble in Cantata Parana who do that with those groups on the outside, but, Mm. you know, we don't always do that all together. And it's something that I've always found when you get people who are very good in a genre, but it's not their only wheelhouse or their bailiwick, that there's an added effort there's an added sense of something being really special about performing a piece like this and so i've always enjoyed playing these pieces more with cantata profana
1: when you're just on a diet of contemporary music sometimes you're you're more worried about certain aspects of the music rhythm is a a big one you have to line up you have to do the rhythm right um maybe you have a little more uh kind of sixth sense about what sound a composer is going for in a certain section. But I find that people who aren't always on a diet of new music, they, they bring something different. And I really like that. It's refreshing, you know, uh, for me to work with people that way, because they're asking really important questions that, you know, when you're always doing this, you just, you kind of zoom over those. So um, I'm excited to get into detailed lining this up and and the same kind of care and nuance that you would give to, Brahms or Beethoven, yeah. you
0: know. So Lucy De Grey is quite a young grand dame of new, mu- new music oh, in New York.
1: Oh, oh, grand dame!
0: I feel like that's a thing. <laughs> I feel like there are out there the, the grand dame of new music, especially
1: inspiring grand dame.
0: There you go. Yeah. I just wanted to know how that how you got to where you are and doing what you're doing and your little mini bio.
1: Yeah, mini bio. I went to undergrad at the University of Michigan, and I was actually a dual degree. In pre-med and voice I just didn't you know honestly I just didn't know that you <laughs> could be a professional musician like that really did not dawn on me until maybe my final year of high school when I was like applying to college and I was like oh you can apply for music well let's just see if I get in and then I got in places and so I was like okay well I guess I'll, I'll try this I was really interested in um, pre-med because that seemed sensible and my focus in pre-med actually was laryngology. And so I did as much as I could with a study of laryngology and like the medical study of the voice and got quite into that. Um, and as you know, University of Michigan is a huge school, no fewer than like 200 singers roaming around at all times. And you're quite anonymous. And I just had these hilarious experiences of, of what I call achichfus idol in my studio class (laughs) where like somehow every soprano in my studio had been assigned and we just get up and sing one after another and I was just like man I just you're a, a lowly under underclassman and uh and just that comparison felt so demoralizing you know and you're you're developing your voice and I didn't know anything about anything you know so I guess the scientist in me and and the the person in me that's just like kind of a rebel and doesn't want to be fit into a slot, I would just go wandering around the library and the dustiest parts and in the, in the voice section and just randomly pull out scores and try to look through them and see if they looked interesting, if, try to find recordings. And so I just kind of got into repertoire that way. And my teacher was very much about not assigning me pieces. So I kind of ended up just bringing her stuff and she'd be like, OK, where'd you find this? I don't know this. <laughs> but she really kind of let me do what I want, which was cool. And I took a class with Martin Katz on American Repertoire. And he was like, you know, maybe you should do this new music thing. And that was really the first person who was like, this is for you. <laughs> but it also just kind of like fit everything that I that I liked about it. That there was, you know, this kind of like nerdy math science-y part where you have to really, really get into details and breaking down rhythms. And I, I liked that. And I liked that no one else was doing it, really. And And then eventually what I really liked about it was that I could really be an active part in the living, breathing (laughs) future of music, you know, rather than contributing to a dead canon, you know, which is beautiful. But but frankly, you know, when I sing um, and when I what I like in singers is not the beautiful golden voice. You know, I I like that for about five minutes and then I get bored. So that's just, you know, that's just me. And so that's that's also not what really I bring to my singing. My singing, I feel like, is very based on the piece I'm doing. Yes. So I don't have one voice and people kind of like, well, wh- how, what do you like to sing? And I just <laughs> actually kind of like to be a chameleon and fit into other pieces. So, yeah. So that's kind of how I got into doing contemporary music, I guess. And now I'm married to a composer and thick in it. <laughs> Waterlines by Christopher Trapani. That's an uh, upcoming album that I'll be on, uh, a portrait album of Christopher Trapani, who's a good friend of mine, New Orleans-based composer. Love that piece because it shows off something different that I do and how I can kind of play with my voice that I get to moonlight in that piece as many different kinds of voices and people. And it's virtuosic dynamics to me, that piece. Um, and I just love it.
0: On this concert that we're doing this next month, we actually have, I would say, more new music than we usually do by ratio. This piece that uh, we're doing together, Lucy and I, is 25 minutes and a real large-scale masterpiece. And then most of the other works that are accompanying it are from the past few decades, although we are also throwing in a little bit of 14th century yeah, because... I think it just goes really well with new music.
1: It does. And there's something about, yeah, there's something about early music to me. Early music is more like science fiction. Um, (laughs) you know, where like, you kind of have some writings, but you're really just filling in everything in the middle. And, and based on like your theory, it's very, it's very creative work as well. And so I find that there's a relationship there.
0: I find a big thing is what the performer needs to bring to both new music and old music is, uh, a sense of themselves being convinced by the piece mm. when you do a work of beethoven or brahms you don't have to show the audience that you love beethoven or brahms they they know that already it's more about execution it's more about okay, how are you going to stack up against this piece instead of with new music where it really is saying, this composer wrote this, I know you haven't heard this, it's new, but let me tell you about it, I think it's fantastic, I want to be an advocate for this piece. And when you do old music, you also have to take this piece that's very, there's very little written on the page, there's very little information there, and in order to perform it at all, you have to make it your own, and you have to be able to say to an audience, "Well, this is what I think this piece is. That was Jessica Petrus and Daniel Moody from The Lover in Winter, our show at the beginning of twenty seventeen. That was Machot from the fourteenth century, a rondo called Sukisutia.
1: And and you you're into all of it.
0: I, I'm really greedy. <laughs> I'm gluttonous and I I can't stop myself. Huh. I sort of joke about this a lot, but I think what we do try to do in CP is to become specialists in everything mm. and it's the impossible, mm-hmm. but it's a nice lifelong goal to keep trying to pursue.
1: Yeah. And then you're, for your audience. Ideally then they're also making relationships between time periods and pieces that they wouldn't otherwise, I think, which is, I mean, I, I, like, I like concerts that switch wildly and that's, you know, that, that's also my taste. So I totally get it.
0: <laughs> I've been feeling recently like rather than thinking of the, I don't know, we've probably done 30 or 40 different programs, completely different programs at this point. It's mm. the end of our sixth season. Mm. Um, and I've lately started thinking it's really just one big program mm. over six years that we've been doing. Mm. And the whole music history timeline and the whole story is just this, this ever expanding epic. Mm. And we're again, trying to do the impossible of maybe one day we'll have, we'll, we will have told the whole story mm. if we keep going. Mm. Um, and so I think in that way we have to, that's that's why I love juxtaposing things that don't usually get put next to each other, trying to draw these connections that don't seem at first glance to be there. And I really like drawing connections between pieces that aren't obvious. This program that we're doing at National Sawdust in a few weeks features some pieces that are really all about watching the performers create a spectacle in front of you, and so it starts with a piece by Mauricio Kagel, who is a, a German-Argentine composer. Um, he was one of the first people to make chamber music super theatrical in the 20th century, and he was really into the idea of theater coming into classical music. Like, he has a piece called Match for Two Cellists and a Percussionist, where the percussionist is the referee, and then he has also pure serious music. And this piece is this very sort of subtle hybrid where it's for piano and low sustaining instrument. In this case, we're going to use a cello and the middle pedal on the piano, which becomes its own percussion instrument that becomes more insistent throughout this otherwise a little bit gloomy, but kind of a little bit sort of strangely beautiful piece until it really sort of rips the walls down at the end. We are also doing a piece by Finnish composer Yuka Tiensu, who has written a, a piece which is one line of music, and if you play it with clarinet and cello, it's called plus two, and if you play it with clarinet and accordion, it's called plus three, and if you play it with all three instruments, it's called plus four, and so we are doing plus four, which is very rarely done, and the instruments have to sort of imitate each other milliseconds after the other person starts playing the same line so that you get to watch it emerge off the page in front of you. Uh, and then we also have something which I have been dying to put on a new music concert for years, which is that Lucy will be singing one of Guillaume de Machot's solo lie, which are these s- songs that are just one line for solo voice from the 14th century with incredible poetry and incredible melodies that just spin out forever. And every time I hear them, I think it's some performance art piece that somebody wrote five years ago, and instead it's 700 years old. It interrupts what's happening in the rest of the concert and sort of recontextualizes where we are. For me, whenever a singer is going to do a really big piece on a program, we should meet them earlier in the evening Mm. somehow. Mm -hmm. And so I like the idea that you are going to pass through the space as this 14th century bard and then come back as a 21st century badass. (laughs) Yes. Also on the program is Simon Steen Anderson's difficulties putting it into practice, which is... A wonderful piece that Doug and Lee performed at Spectrum many years ago on their spotlight where they had taken piano and percussion and gone sort of as far with that as they could possibly imagine. And it's very playful and it's for two performers of any kind sitting at a table with contact mics and paper and pens and cutouts.
1: I love Simon Steen Anderson. <laughs> oh, I'm such a fan. It's such
0: good stuff. It's, it's very joyful and very creative I love watching Doug and Lee do it. From our very first Spotlight series at Spectrum downtown on the Lower East Side in November 2014, here's Gleb Kanasevich and Hannah Collins doing Yuka Plus Two. The beauty of this piece, as you're watching it as an audience member, is that you can't ever tell quite who is leading, who's following, who's speaking first, and who's jumping it. yes that you host for your organization resonant bodies
1: the podcast
0: the podcast we don't
1: really call it that but internally
0: (laughs) so tell us about resonant bodies
1: yeah resonant bodies uh was founded in i founded it in 2013 and it was an avenue platform for me to perform at first i was really just fresh out of grad school had spent a year in new york and lucy shelton who's uh kind of a friend mentor of mine who's also like the grand dame of all new music maybe um she she was like lucy you have to do a you have to do a recital you have to kind of you know what do you call it when you do your first showing
0: debut your Your, your new york debut my new york debut right at town hall like they used to yes
1: yes yes and invite all the press you know or whatever um i personally like bop all around the city you know, every other day I'm in a different borough seeing a different concert at some tiny basement venue or something. And uh, the prospect of that for me was just like, oh, I really don't want to do all that work to do a concert and have no one come. And I don't just want to do a concert myself. I want to see all these other people who just didn't know each other. I realized that I kind of knew all these great singers in the city who didn't know each other's work at all. And I thought, wow, if the singers could all get together and see each other's work, We'd be so inspired, you know, we'd be able to kind of cross-collaborate and all this stuff. So that was really the impetus for starting Resident Bodies. Uh, we started with a format, and we've kept this format of three nights, um, three sets per night. And as a vocalist, you get 45 minutes to program whatever you want. So, yeah, that was Resident Bodies, and and that's still Resident Bodies. Yeah, so I first heard Philippe LaRue in... 2009 I want to say maybe 10 in Chicago on saxophonist Ryan Muncy's like graduate recital from Northwestern and it was just like such a fun piece it was such a unique sound world and the way that he used text I just loved and as soon as I saw that piece I I, like I envisioned like a staging for it because it was just inherently theatrical and so I just fell in love with that piece and and then you know kind of kept my ear out for hearing his name around and, and getting into his work. And I'd heard of Rex, And then um, I guess the first time I took a proper listen was sometime here, 2015 or 2016. Uh, but Sophia Burgos, who, uh, she did this in her undergrad, which is insane, at Eastman. And they had a recording of it. And when I interviewed her on my podcast, we talked about this piece. <laughs> And I just loved it. I loved all the sounds and I just, I love that you get to sing, but also play. And I think that's really what the piece is about. It's written for Donatien Michel Dansac, who's this amazing, you know, talk about grand dames, like <laughs> she's one of the grand dames and so many pieces have been written for her and she kind of owns Apergis and LaRue's, you know, she's had such an influence on them. And so he wrote this for a singer who is extremely virtuosic who um really you know could just you know Varex it's kind of this piece to show off how awesome she is and and how how she controls everything and and um yeah so i, I think people will hear that when they when they hear the piece hopefully oh yes i, I have <laughs> With no my doubt my rendition i have no doubt <laughs> i am not Donatien michelle dansac at all um but very much admire her
0: but the sound itself is is the spectacle, the sort of range of sound, the spectrum of sound that he's able to create and the different gestures that that come out of it. They're amazing to hear and to to watch happen. And with the live electronics that are used in the piece, you have this mix of a very visible, small ensemble that you can watch make these incredible sounds combined with a part that you can't see.
1: Yeah, it's a mystery a little bit. Like, where is that coming from? And and hopefully uh, the way that the speakers are set up, you you very much hear the singer coming from where they are on stage, but then you also hear different voices coming out of different speakers. And so she might be right behind you and then she's over here. And, you know, you might not know how the sound came to be or who it is. You know, I I just, I love that part.
0: And my, my impression, definitely watching that performance by Donatian, who was who was written for her, um, was the sense that every time that happens the more the live electronics sort of expand outwards you actually get this feeling of being more inside her head yeah or inside the singers the singer is very much a character in this piece um, an instrument like all of the other instruments as well but there's definitely big big solo light on the soprano Thank you so much for joining us, for listening today, and thank you to my guest Lucy de Grey for being here. We'll be at National Sawdust in two weeks for a program with Philippe Leroux's Voirex, works by Mauricio Kagel, Yuka Tensu, Simon Steen Anderson, and of course Guillaume de Machot. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to us on iTunes, like us, review us, rate us, and you'll hear from us next time. We'll leave you today with a last bit of Machot, again from the 14th century, but this time quite updated with a big modern band. This is from ancient groove music this past summer.